Hey listeners, welcome to another episode of The Background Scoop. It's your one and only host, DJ Stavropoulos, part-time background actor here in Atlanta, Georgia. Thanks so much for tuning in. This episode is all about roadkill. That was the original title, but then I realized that if I call it roadkill, people might get squeamish and not listen. But then I decided to not change the title. Heck, if you're that scared, then just turn on the lights really bright and grab a knife before you proceed. Don't worry, there's nothing graphic included here. Just some revelations about what you may see on your way to work, how to modify your behavior, and how what you're filming may turn out to be a different kind of roadkill. I talk about making lots of new friends and not recognizing old ones because my brain is on the fritz. There's a super important segment on how to calculate your pay since I discovered a newer, more accurate way to do this. I talk about the ease and efficiency of doing a multi-day job versus several one-day jobs and how a sad real-life experience that makes you cry can actually be good for your career. I'll get started after the break. I didn't expect to talk about this, but it's definitely relevant to background work because your trip to work can impact how you feel and what you think about, and that can change your day. To start, this job is a good hour south of where I live. It's near where I did Red Notice at Atlanta Metro Studios, but a good 30 minutes further down 74 South. I've driven the trip five times so far. It was bad the first time because Waze took me some cockamamie way, but now I stand Interstate 85 to 74 to State Route 85 to Route 16. Anyway, on one of the first trips, I noticed some roadkill, which always makes me sick. This time it was an armadillo. And I was like, we have armadillos here? Shouldn't I have known this after 25 years? Is the area south of Atlanta basically Texas? No offense, Longhorn State. I always feel bad because it's such a horrible way to lose your life. And then I think about it and try not to think about it. To protect myself from these thoughts and feelings, I immediately tell myself, now tomorrow when you drive on this same road, make sure not to look at it again because then you'll feel the same way and think the same things. That's the plan anyway. But here's what happens, and it's one of three things. I either look at it again, I remember to not look at it, or I remember to not look at it, but choose to look anyway. First, I usually don't remember this the next day, so as I approach the same area, I forget about yesterday's roadkill, and my eyes are like metal to a magnet. Boom! They laser focus on the dead animal just as I get to it, and I experience the same reaction I had the day before. What is wrong with you? Did you not tell yourself yesterday to not look at this today? Someone needs to invent little roadkill flags to stake by the side of the road, like those yellow triangular ones the utility company stakes in your lawn to mark where the gas line is. Just something to warn people, hey, there's a dead animal in the road here, so don't look at it if you don't really want to. Scenario two is when I remember what happened the day before. I can see up ahead in the distance that there's something in the road, so I keep looking straight ahead to the horizon and resist looking right at it as I pass. This works well, but only if I remember to do it, or the curiosity in me doesn't ruin it. This also works for brand new roadkill. Scenario 3 is when curiosity wins out over my desire to not look. When I do remember that there's roadkill up ahead that I saw yesterday, but don't care to see it again today, sometimes I doubt the accuracy of it. I'm not quite sure it's roadkill or the same thing I saw yesterday, and my curiosity takes over. 
I mean, what if it's just trash in the road or a piece of a pine tree? I'd rather know that with certainty than take the risk of assuming it's the same roadkill I saw yesterday. This is totally illogical, but I think the comfort of knowing that it's not a dead animal makes me feel better than driving by assuming it's the dead animal I saw yesterday. Because despite not seeing it again, most of the thoughts and feelings still come back if I blindly assume it's what I saw the day before. If, on the other hand, I can confirm it's not roadkill, then I feel relieved, and feeling relieved is much better. So this becomes a risk-reward exercise. If I think it's roadkill, do I risk feeling worse by confirming that it is, or risk feeling better by confirming that it's not? I mean, no one cares about trash on the road. It doesn't make you feel bad or conjure up sad thoughts unless you're somehow sentimental about inanimate objects and humanize them. And if that's the case, you may need some real help, as we all do. I think the larger the animal, the worse I feel, but at the same time, the harder it is to ignore it. It's a quandary. While filming Red Notice, someone hit a deer right outside the road our hotel was on. And as you turned right onto 74, you had to look in that direction before turning and you just couldn't ignore it. It was there for at least a week. There was no way I could have dragged it out of sight myself, but someone else did. Thank you so much. I'm not sure what I would do if I saw a hit dog in the road, probably cry on the spot and get out of my car to try to move it or help it if it were still alive. And that's because I have a dog and dogs are man's best friend. And that's what any humane person would do for their best friend. So that's my lesson about roadkill. If you normally take highways to get to your jobs, it's clearly not an issue because you're going way too fast to examine and evaluate whatever is in the road. As much as I like local roads instead of highways, there certainly is a price to pay. I'm calling this segment Early Signs of Dementia, not to be confused with Demetrius, which is my name and sounds similar, or endometriosis, which is a female disease that a friend of mine had in college. It's the only disease I know of that has what sounds exactly like my name preceded by the letters E and N. Today is Wednesday, May 5th, 2021. So the strangest thing that happened on this job is that my friend Lily from Red Notice was there, but I had no idea she'd be there and didn't recognize that it was actually her for at least a few hours. It was a gradual recognition that took my brain some time to figure out. At around 2 p.m., I was sitting and holding outside the set and some woman went running by about 15 feet away and waved at me and I waved back without knowing who she was. Then I looked behind me to see whether she was waving at someone else. Nope, it was at me. My brain immediately said, that woman looks a lot like Lily. But I was sure it wasn't her because I would have known she was going to be there and she wouldn't have just run by without stopping to say hello. It just didn't make sense. A few hours later, while we were on set, I noticed she was standing near me and when they called background, she actually had to walk past me. She smiled each time and made extended eye contact. I still wasn't sure it was her, primarily because, one, her hair was longer and much fuller than I remember, two, her face looked different enough, and three, her costume made her look like someone else. So standing there, I tried to figure out what I could say to her or do to solve the mystery without actually disclosing to her that I wasn't sure it was her. So I texted her, quote, what was your call time, unquote. Surely, if it was Lily, the text would make sense. If not, 
then the real Lily would get my text, it would make no sense to her, and I'd just apologize and say, sorry, that was meant for someone else by a text. No harm done. But the internet service was horrible and the text would not send. But soon enough, she came by and started to chat and said something about Red Notice and how sullen I was behaving, and then I knew it was her. What was happening was because I wasn't sure it was her, I wasn't being as friendly as I normally would be, and she was responding to that by thinking, why is DJ so cool and aloof today? During one pass, she actually said, why are you not smiling? Once I heard her voice, I was a bit more convinced that it was her, but still not 100% sure. I never did tell her that I wasn't sure it was her because there was no point. She'll only know if she listens to this or someone else does and tells her. She lives in Kentucky, so coming all the way here is a major deal for her, and given this has turned into a 10-day job, I'm not sure who she's staying with, and she's very secretive about that. I also noticed her talking to three to four other people on set, and had this weird feeling of, I guess, envy or something along the lines of, wow, she has new friends here, and I'm just some leftover from Red Notice five months ago. I better up my friendship game, or I might lose her or not be as fun to hang out with as these other people she's now met. Isn't that hilarious? There's all this inherent friend-making going on, and I guess what you might perceive as social climbing or something, but I guess that's true wherever you go when people meet and mingle. And then I spent the evening wondering if this was some initial sign of early dementia and whether I should go see a doctor. I mean, in all of my 57 years, only the opposite has happened to me. You run up to someone you recognize and start talking, only to realize that it's not actually them, and your brain has made a terrible mistake. In my case, it was the opposite. Instead of mistaking someone who looks like Lily for Lily, I was not recognizing the real Lily. Ironically, my friend Terry, also from Red Notice, whom I had no problem recognizing, remarked to me about another background woman who looked surprisingly like our friend Sarah G. I should have seen this as a harbinger of the opposite of what was to come. More to come after the break. Welcome back. So I have an entire episode devoted to the pay, and it's called The Money, Season 1, Episode 7. I need to make a correction to the formula I talk about in there. I don't want anyone who's listened to that to get the wrong answer and hold it against me, so please spread the word. I told you in that episode to just divide the rate by the hours, but have since learned that that is not correct because some rates build in overtime after the first eight hours. It's actually take the hours and subtract eight to determine how many overtime hours are already baked into the quoted rate. For example, $168 over 12 doesn't mean you're making $14 an hour and $21 an hour overtime after 12 hours. If you simply divide 168 by 12, this is the conclusion you'll draw, but it's not correct. Instead, you're making some flat rate for the first eight hours, and then 1.5 times that rate for the next four hours, and the total of this is $168. You need to do some basic algebra to figure out the hourly rate, but it's pretty simple. Here goes. 8x plus 4 times 1.5x equals 168. Simplified, this is 8x plus 6x equals 168. Simplified further, 14x equals 168 x equals 168 divided by 14, and finally, x equals 12. So you're making $12 an hour as your base rate, 
and 1.5 times this as your overtime rate, which is $18 an hour, not $14 an hour and $21 for overtime. So scratch what I said earlier. I learn more as I go along. This happened when I got my first checks for the first lady this week, and I looked at the breakout of the pay on the pay stub. I'm not sure why they don't just state the rate for eight hours since that would make it consistent and simpler for all of us. Stated that way, the rate is actually $96 for eight hours. But maybe that doesn't sound as attractive as $168 over $12. And this is all a ploy to fool people into thinking they're getting more than they really are. Who knows? When I reached out to the casting company about this, the owner simply replied with, quote, nothing weird going on here, unquote, which to me means she either doesn't understand basic math or is in on this and doesn't care to understand what is actually going on. Most jobs state the rate and include the overtime rate, so there is no confusion. This job did not and does not. Again, back to the communication issue in this industry. Imagine accepting a corporate job for $100,000 and then discovering when you got your first paycheck that it was actually $80,000 plus a $20,000 bonus you got only if you actually worked more than 40 hours a week. What? That would be insane. A salary is a salary, regardless of how many hours you work. Enough with the math, but as you can see, I could have been a math teacher after all. Today is Sunday, May 9th, 2021. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there, including mine. This segment is called A Real Frenzy, spelled F-R-I-E-N-D-Z-Y. Get it? It's about making new friends. But first, yesterday was a first for me. I rented Willie's Wonderland with Nicolas Cage. I had a small role in this just over a year ago. I played the real life nighty night not the stuffed character version, and was part of a cult who commits suicide in the movie. It wasn't the best experience, and I ended up in just two scenes, but am clearly seen. Now I know why actors read scripts before they accept roles. If the script is awful, they turn down the job, unless they really need the money. Background doesn't have this luxury, so you never know how good or how bad the movie or show will be. It was bizarre that Nicolas Cage was the star of this movie, but didn't have a single line in it. That sounds more like a background role. But the real shocker was as the credits were rolling, there was my name listed under cult members. But of course, they had me as Demetrius Stavropoulos, which is not really the name I go by. It's my legal name. On IMDb, I'm D period J period space Stavropoulos. Well, if I'm showing up for a tiny role like this, then I clearly will be in the credits for my featured roles on The Wonder Years, The First Lady, and Red Notice. I met new people, of course. We, spelled H-U-I, admitted this was his first background job, so I immediately began my diary of the mouth behavior where I try to tell someone everything they need to know in about five minutes. But then I just handed him my business card so he could listen to this podcast instead. I apologize for this behavior in advance to anyone I meet in the future who doesn't want to hear all about this. Just politely excuse yourself. I'll even give you a safe word. I'm over this load. <laughs> I will seriously laugh my ass off if I meet someone who says this to me because it means they have already heard this episode before meeting me in the real world. Second was Mateus, an Italian guy from Argentina. I made the mistake of asking, where are you from? Thinking he'd say Italy, but he said Argentina instead. 
which made me think he wasn't Italian after all, but he was. There are lots of Italians in Argentina. His finance job brought him to Atlanta, where he lives in Midtown with his wife. They own the condo they live in, but she wants to buy another one. Next time, I'll have to find out where they live exactly. In a high-rise I have bought and sold in? There was also Danielle from Kennesaw. That's her real name, but her wardrobe purse says Pat on it, like that androgynous Saturday Night Live character from decades ago. It was so hot there yesterday that her apple was steaming, and she told me she believed there was applesauce inside it. People kept coming by my plant stand and looking, and one woman paid me $2 for a succulent, but then she returned it when they yelled cut and reset. And then she came back and bought it again and again and again. Rachel, a woman I met on the Underground Railroad 18 months ago, was also there. It took me a while to figure out who she was, and when I saw her vaping, it all came back. She had told us this story about her Trader Joe's manager stalking her. She ultimately made her way over to my plant stand and kept asking about the prices, which I kept doubling. She threatened to come back at night and steal the ones she wanted. She has a habit of quickly progressing to vulgarities, which was evidenced by her whispering F you to me during the last take. Hashtag guttermouth? The plants were in dire need of hydration, so I kept sneaking bottled water over and drenching them between takes, wondering if I'd be yelled at or fired for actually caring about the health and safety of them. I mean, I wasn't acting like I cared about them. I really did. Perhaps I was getting way too into character. I also met Amanda, a real actress who isn't supposed to do background work. She's trying to get on a Hulu show called Dope Sick about the pharma industry's complicit role in starting and sustaining the opioid epidemic. She told me horror stories about working on this show in particular role, which made me glad I had never done that. Lots of makeup, dirty, hot, unable to see or breathe, etc. Not my cup of tea, thank you very much. The roles we are having to play are much easier. There was also Fred who did some fake fighting in the Underground Railroad. Amy, who started out at my plant stand but didn't buy anything as well. I got a whole lot of window shoppers all day long. Ethan and Avery, tall 20-something brothers who almost look like twins. And Redbeard, the assistant director, whose real name is Greg, but there's already someone else there named Greg. He called me by name and I had to wonder, how can this person remember the name of a single background person? Mine like a steel trap? I was no longer able to hide in my cloak of anonymity. I just watched two episodes of The Underground Railroad, which premieres this Friday on Amazon Prime, and I am blown away by the quality of this. Barry Jenkins is a rock star. This is the kind of show you want to be in. Today is Thursday, May 13th, 2021. One new thing I've learned these past few weeks, one 10-day job is a million times better than 10 one-day jobs. Think about it. Add up all the time and effort it takes to apply for and get accepted for 10 different jobs. And then the logistics of testing and working each one of these and getting paid versus doing all of that just once and going to the same job 10 times. That is much, much easier. So on day eight of the 11 day job I'm currently on, we had a 6.15 a.m. call time, which meant driving in the dark. The good news is that in the dark, you can't see roadkill at all. But I've also learned that in daylight, red lights are the worst. If there's roadkill right next to you, it's hard to keep looking straight ahead the whole time. 
Here's a quick bio break story. A four banger is a toilet on wheels, actually four bathrooms on a trailer thing with wheels. One brand of these is called Crew Thrones. They're usually white, but for this job, they have camouflage ones, probably because of all the filming outside in the woods. I mean, you need to have them nearby, but a white one would stick out like a sore thumb. Ironically, even in the middle of a set, these are hard to spot. The first day I had to ask someone where the nearest bathrooms were, and they were right in front of me. These past two weeks have been so easy. I accepted an eight day job that due to weather became a 10 day job. And on Friday was told it's becoming an 11 day job. Of the 11 days, we filmed only three, which means that they're paying me $1,000 to take seven COVID tests on seven days and sit home on hold for one day. That, my friends, is a great deal. It doesn't even matter that it's an hour away. Heck, for years and years, that was my daily commute from the suburbs to whatever office job I had. So it's not like I haven't done this before. I listen to podcasts or music while thinking about stuff, which is what I used to do when I took road trips or flew on planes before COVID hit. There are also rumors that will be called back for two more days in the future, one of which has been confirmed. It requires two testing visits before filming, so that's another easy stack of cash. As for the COVID protocol, this one was different from all the others. We had COVID goggles and a tracker, but were allowed to touch all the crafty food we wanted with our dirty hands. We also were instructed to watch a safety video before each day of filming, but it was more of a recap of what scenes we were going to do the next day. If you're looking for a good deal on plants, I highly recommend Casey's Kaleidoscope, although I'm not sure what their hours are or how you even get there. Kara from Costumes gave great speeches to us. You're going to change here into your first look, and then later you will change into your second look somewhere else. If you brought your own clothes, you'll have to bring them up there, and we will hold them for the week. That requires trust. I didn't let them keep my clothing after I fit last week, but they have had it over the weekend. I have this fear they'll want to hold on to it until the next filming four weeks down the road, but I don't think I'll agree to that. Later in the day, when Kira found me with my two other outfits to take for me, she said, Oh, you look nothing like your picture. I think she was referring to the one of me in business attire that I sent in to get the job. And that was what I saw hanging on my tag when I went in for the fitting. By the way, they loved everything in the small suitcase and garment bag I brought and chose three outfits. All they are loaning me is a coat for look two and a handkerchief for look three. Also, although I've been ribbed for years for hanging onto denim farmer jeans, also called overalls from the 1970s or 1980s, they do come in handy for jobs like this, so I'm elated that I get to wear them. I think these actually may be from Kylie Junior High when I needed a pair for the variety show. We sang Mississippi Mud and had to dress appropriately. When the sun goes down, the tide goes out, the people gather round and they all begin to shout. Hey, hey, Uncle Dud, it's a treat to beat your feet on the Mississippi mud. I can't sing to save my life, so I don't even try. On our last day of filming, Kara was kind enough to bring us all of our personal clothing we had brought for the shoot so that we could get out more quickly at the end of the day. And it turned out to be an early day on both ends. Although our call time was 6.30 a.m. and we did have a lightning delay in the middle of it all, we wrapped at 4.30 p.m. We're going back in four weeks for another day of shooting, but we'll be different characters, so we'll have new looks. That's good because I didn't really feel comfortable leaving my three outfits with them for a month. I mean, what if something happened to them or to me? I can't imagine another two hour round trip drive in the future just to pick up my clothes. 
Final note, I did meet a new person, Kara, on the set, and I did confirm that Mateus does indeed live in a condo that I both bought and sold in. It's called Spire. And I failed to mention the PA, Jihad, whom I met on the very first day. I had a hard time remembering his name and had the impression that a jihad is a holy war and I'm not understanding why someone would give their baby this name. I asked Siri for a definition and this is what it means. One, a struggle or fight against the enemies of Islam and two, the spiritual struggle within oneself against sin. Today is Saturday, May 15th, 2021. I had to switch dentists this year because I changed insurance companies and my old dentist simultaneously dropped out of my new network. So I had my first cleaning this week and somehow the dentist and I began discussing background work. He said he had been in a Spider-Man movie filmed in Detroit. He scheduled a huge viewing party with all his friends, but when they watched the movie, he was nowhere to be seen. He should have listened to my podcast first. Well, it probably didn't exist at the time, but now he's learned the hard way. Help yourself and your friends and loved ones by spreading the word so that countless others don't suffer the same fate. Tell them about the background scoop. I don't know if you know this, but I actually listen to these episodes and sometimes tweak them before releasing. But most of the time, I don't go back and re-record an entire segment if I hear a mistake. Instead, I just correct it somewhere else, like here. Earlier, I referred to Texas as a Longhorn State. I don't know where that came from. I think it's actually the Lone Star State. Sorry again, Texas. Second, I pronounced the word H-A-R-B-I-N-G-E-R as Harbinger instead of Harbinger. I'm going to end this episode talking about roadkill the same way I started it. But this is a different kind of roadkill. I learned yesterday and today that a TV show or movie can be so good and real that people can't bear to watch it because of the emotions and thoughts it conjures up. The Underground Railroad is doing just that for some people. I mentioned in an earlier episode that it was very uncomfortable filming this in the 21st century in light of all the racial issues our country's experienced this past years. Hearing the N-word on set made my skin crawl, but now watching the show is having a similar effect. I got a sneak peek at episodes one and two earlier this week, and all episodes were released yesterday on Amazon Prime, so I watched episode three, which happens to be the one I'm in. I ran into a colleague at the office yesterday and told her to watch the show and then discovered this morning that Kaya had posted on Facebook that she tried to watch it because a colleague was in it, meaning me, but that she just couldn't watch it. I don't think this was exactly the kind of reaction Barry Jenkins had in mind. I mean, is it possible that your show is so good and so real that people just can't bear to watch? I now think that's true. Normally it's the opposite. Something is so bad that word gets out and you don't bother to watch it because your time is valuable and why on earth would you watch something that others have not enjoyed? Will the opposite happen for the Underground Railroad? Will word get out so quickly that people will avoid watching so they don't feel and think things that make them uncomfortable? Just like seeing real roadkill on the side of the road? Second, this was my first time I was so glued to the episode that I forgot all about looking for myself. I mean, who cares if I'm actually seen in the show? Stopping and starting or watching it in slow motion would be painfully slow and probably pointless. The only person I clearly saw was my friend Holly, 
because she played the wife of the townsman who gives the speech at the beginning of the episode. When they're burning the books at the campfire, she's standing right next to him. It's amazing how beautiful a filmmaker can tell a story, even if it looks very different from the real world you experienced when you were there. Third, as I've mentioned before, when filming, you're seeing just a tiny sliver of an entire episode you know very little about. I'd say 90% of the episode was filmed without the group of us that were there those three days. I was there for the speech. I was there for the house burning. I was there when Cora came running out. I saw Lily Rabe get pushed to the ground and kicked by Fiona. And I helped put out the house fire, which didn't make it into the episode, although a second of it appears in the show's trailer. Which raises another question. I wonder why after filming that for hours, they decided it didn't contribute enough to the story to keep in. All we see is Fiona throwing the lantern that starts the fire, and then the attic window as the house goes up in flames. But it leaves a lot of unanswered questions. By not showing the townspeople trying to put out the fire, you're not conveying that they cared and were trying to help. And we have no idea if little Grace perishes while hiding out in that attic. I have to assume she does. That little boy in the bowler hat is adorable, but we had no idea that he's the one that wanders into the house and sees something he shouldn't. Today is Wednesday, May 19th, 2021. I guess the only way to summarize this episode is to recognize that roadkill can be literal as well as figurative. I hope you don't see any dead animals in the road on the way to your background gigs, but I also hope you get cast in projects that are so incredibly wonderful and real that you can't watch them without feeling very strong emotions. It means the show or film is a hit and that you're alive. I'm taking a break for a bit. Sugar in my whippet is going downhill quickly and losing control of her legs. I woke up one day last week to find her face bloodied because she had been rubbing it against her crate for hours as a result of the rain scaring her to the point of harming herself. The vet cleaned her up well and she stayed there overnight due to my filming, but it's becoming increasingly harder to juggle all of this. Although she can no longer go to daycare, her new vet is happy to board her, but I feel bad having her crated for that long and let out for only three walks per day. She wasn't exactly roadkill, but seeing her face did traumatize me. I have to carry her up and down the stairs now, although she's still capable of jumping up on my bed. I learned that if you add warm water to her food, she'll eat like a horse. I'm already feeling the sadness of her loss and can almost bring myself to cry if I think about it long enough. This is good practice for my background work. If someone asks me to feel sad, I just have to think about my dog and how close we're getting to the end of her life. And the horrible dilemma of having to decide exactly when she goes. But that's life and what you have to prepare for when you get a pet. So for her last big hurrah, I'm canceling my flight to Boston at the end of June and instead driving her up to Provincetown to vacation with her dad for the very last time. It's something I've always wanted to do with my dog. Next week, I'm back on The First Lady for a day. It's the next season with Michelle Obama, played by Viola Davis. Maybe I'll be her White House usher, too. And my phone has been texting off the hook recently. I got a $900 offer to do stand-in work on something called Senior Year next week, but had a decline. Sorry that I forgot to mention Katie from The First Lady, who instantly recognized me on my most recent project. I didn't recognize her at all. Sometimes you make mental notes of complete strangers, and they of you. And sometimes it's not reciprocal. 
I'm teaching a social media class to my office tomorrow, and I'm including this podcast as an example of how you can spread your message to the world. Wish me luck. That's all for this episode. Tune in again for more of the Background Scoop, where I discuss background acting here in Atlanta. Hope you're learning and getting some BG roles of your own. Feel free to reach out with your questions, which I'll try to answer in a future episode, or tell me a story about your own experience, and I may choose to interview you. See the episode notes for how to reach out. And if you like what you've heard, please rate the podcast. Thanks for listening.